forgotten condoms can break. Some women want to conceive in the near future, some never again. So for lots of different reasons, for lots of different people, there are lots of different contraceptive options. But do we know enough about these options and do we talk confidently enough about what we need? Bayer, with a strong heritage in contraception and female health, are on a mission to help educate us all find the right option to fit our lives. With the relaunch of MyContraception.ie, a dedicated website full of everything we need to know. I'm Sinead Moore from Everymum, and in this five-part series supported by Bayer, I talk to four sensational GPs to better understand our bodies, our reproductive health, and the range of contraceptive options available in Ireland. Plus, specific episodes all about the right options if you've just had a baby or if you know your family is complete. The opinions shared in this podcast are those of the individual healthcare professionals and are intended as general information only and not intended to replace a consultation with a healthcare professional. Nor is it intended to provide specific medical advice. So always speak to your doctor or nurse for personal advice about you and your needs. Let's start at the beginning. How does your menstrual cycle work? And how can contraception support it as we age and as our bodies or needs change? Specialising in female health for over 30 years, in this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Deirdre Lundy. Originally from the US, Deirdre attended UCD Medical School and never went back. She has worked for all the family planning clinics around Dublin and is now based in the Bray Women's Clinic. She has worked for the Irish College of General Practitioners in the Women's Health Department and the GP Gynaecology Clinics in the Rotunda, Coombe and National Maternity Hospitals. Here we talk about caring for our fertility, easing painful or heavy periods and tackling the symptoms of polycystic ovary syndrome and endometriosis. So let's discuss our bodies more, our plans, our needs, so our healthcare providers can guide us all towards the right option. understand our bodies, the more we can make the right choices to care for it, the more we can save ourselves from anxious moments of worry, and the more we can start understanding what's normal, what we need, and who can best guide us towards these solutions, especially when it comes to our female reproductive and our sexual health. Dr. Deirdre Lundy, you are a wealth of knowledge on this field and are one of the many doctors in Ireland who are opening up the conversation for women and are helping us all to understand and care for our bodies that little bit more. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure and thank you for saying those nice things. They are all very, (laughs) very true and don't even scratch the surface (laughs) of the wealth of your knowledge. Um, The point of this show is really that, to, to start opening up the conversation and to start empowering women to understand a little bit more about their hormonal well-being and their contraceptive options as a result so that we all get a little bit more in touch with our fertility mm-hmm. um, and how to manage it, how to control it. Because for a lot of us, most of our cycles, actually, we don't want to get pregnant. Sure, sure. So tell me in the beginning, I suppose, a little bit more about, you know, what's going on with our female reproductive system so that we can get to understand it and know it that bit more. It's a really hard to explain it in a simple version because Which is why some of us are confused it's it's actually almost magic yeah um the interplay between the brain hormones and the ovary hormones and the hormones that are produced by the maturing follicle cells and then the dying follicle cells is an absolute symphony but basically 
at sometime between your eighth and 18th birthday, um, the glands in your head, the hypothalamus, the anterior pituitary, uh, start to release hormone in a kind of a different way. Instead of a constant steady drip feed, they start to release hormone impulses. And the pulsatile release of hormone from the brain is what wakes up the ovaries. And, and that whole process, that puberty process, mm. revolves around that. So long before you have your first menstrual bleed, you'll start to see girls, little girls, getting pubertable changes, things like breast bud formation, uh, hair, you know, pubic hair, underarm hair, some acne, sometimes some odor, you know, body odor. And then usually within about a year or two of that starting, you start to get your first cycle. And, and what a cycle is, is when you're born, before you're even a few weeks in your mother's womb, your ovaries in rudimentary form are created and they have millions and millions of eggs and follicles holding those eggs in them. And it's only when you hit about 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 that they actually start to mature uh, under influences of the brain hormones. And the main hormones involved are GnRH, gonadotrophin release hormone, and um, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone from the pituitary gland. So these are, we, do, we usually abbreviate them. We call the hypothalamus hormone, we call it GnRH. We call the pituitary hormones FSH and LH. And women who are familiar with their cycles and fertility are, are familiar with those abbreviations. So you so, do, you get tested for those to yeah, see if those are working. spikes have occurred. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at, there's a diagram that medical students usually run a mile from when they see it. It's this complicated graph of how in the early phase of a natural cycle, FSH levels start to rise. And that causes lots of little follicles to grow within the ovary. But usually only one of them becomes a dominant follicle. And she continues to get fatter, fatter, fatter until about the 10th-ish day of a 28-day cycle when luteinizing hormone levels start to surge and then they peak and that ruptures that little follicle and in, in a tiny little egg floats out away from the ovary and it gets wafted up into the fallopian tube and it begins its perilous journey. If there's sperm in the neighborhood, you'll get pregnant, please God, and that egg will continue fertilized now down into your womb. But if you don't get pregnant... The tissues of the lining of the womb have been readying themselves for that fertilized egg. For a baby. For the two weeks mm. before the egg is released. And then if nothing happens to keep that womb lining intact, no pregnancy hormone is released, it'll shed. So another two weeks later and you'll have the beginning, the onset of bleeding. And it all starts again. But the process is so complex. Mm, so many systems interplay. Uh -huh. And so much can go wrong. You know, it's a miracle anyone gets a normal <laughs> cycle and a normal period, but it, most of us do, thank God. And I think that's know? really, it's a really important message because we are not all textbook humans. No. It doesn't, you can't assume that all of those individual systems are going to occur at exactly the same point in my body as mm. it will for you. Yeah. Yeah. So there has to be, you know, you need to kind of understand maybe what's normal for your body, well, not certainly necessarily everybody. The age you are when your periods start is wildly variable mm. so you know and that's a hard thing because I think things are getting better but there was certainly I was just talking about this not too long ago on the television about how even in the current generation of young women discussing periods wouldn't necessarily be a day-to-day -day thing amongst mm. peers in primary and secondary school there's still a little negativity around it that it's dirty that it's embarrassing 
that it's shameful. I mean, like it isn't, but there is this perception that, um, like a lady I was talking to was saying that she didn't get her first period until she was well into her teenage years, but she pretended she did because she didn't want to... Just to fit in. I know, it was heartbreaking when I heard that. Like, I mean... That's something that there should be open discussion about such thing. Moms should be saying, do you get your period yet? Because remember, we talked that should be coming yeah. soon. And let me know as soon as you think it's starting. And, you know, and even just shame around, you know, buying sanitary items or, you know, being that teenage girl and them going into the trolley yeah. that, you know, your dad's going to unpack <laughs> things like that. Know. You know, so I think it's really important for for. In that secondary school. I guess it's a cultural thing. I don't Both think need you, to be told about you it. You don't see that in other cultures. You know, like, maybe it's, maybe I'm just misinformed. But I mean, if I've lived with, when I was a student, I shared flats with people from other parts of Europe. And we just seem, Irish people seem to be so totally mm. um, repressed <laughs> when it comes to yeah. stuff like that. You know, body image, nudity, yeah. sexuality. Sanitary products. And I just think know. it's fascinating because like it happens to the majority of women every single month. And yet it's so unspoken. I about. know it's heartbreaking. It's actually quite sad. But it also is why we don't necessarily know too much about it. And maybe why we're so reticent to go to somebody to talk to them about stuff. I'm sure that's a big part of it. And I, and I think that is changing. There's no question that that is changing because you know? that's what you do yeah you you meet people mm. in your practice and you, you yeah. discuss these stuff so are you seeing more women come and talk oh, to yeah, you oh yeah absolutely and also i think good moms you know not to beat that phrase too much but good moms talk to their daughters yeah about their bodies good moms talk to their sons about their bodies good moms talk to their sons about their sisters bodies mm. you know if it doesn't come from the mom and dad who the heck is it going to come Who's from? Who's it going to come from? And normalizing it and making yeah. it a safe conversation. So this is how it all happens. But for most women, for most cycles, we are often trying not to get that egg fertilized. We're in conflict with our biology in this society because our bodies, like every other female mammal, is designed and created specifically for childbirth. That is our reason to be alive, like every other species, we're here to reproduce. But in our society, more so now than ever before, we try to, first of all, delay first pregnancy mm-hmm. as long as is con- until it's convenient, which, you know, it may never be. Yeah. And then to have good spacing between so you can get your breath back and earn some money and whatever. Um, and then... Not have two kids and full-time childcare. Exactly. Get one to school. Exactly. And then... Possibly limit the size of your family because you want to get your own personal life back on track eventually. You want to be able to afford to provide for the kids you already have. And then often in your late 30s, early 40s, to stop using your fertility, even though you're still quite possibly at risk of another pregnancy. So you, we spend our most of our adult lives battling nature and trying to prevent... Fighting what, against it because yeah. that's the cultural norm right now. Yeah, yeah. So it's gas. Whereas nature has given us the ability to conceive at a really young age. Mm. So we were designed to have much more kids than we currently do and much younger. So how is this having an impact on our hormonal health? Okay. Well, if you look at more primitive mammals or or women living in more primitive societies, they would usually start their reproductive life. They'd start trying to get pregnant quite quickly after becoming 
menstrual, after menarche, as they call it, then they would breastfeed. So mm-hmm. breastfeeding naturally suppresses the cycle and minimizes fertility because you don't want two infants, you know, at the same time. And then they would go again and, and get pregnant as soon as it was they were ready for it, as soon as they were weaning the baby, possibly. So typically women would have had 15, 20 pregnancies in their lifetime and had precious few cycles. Uh, more primitive women would have about maybe 20 to 30 periods in their lifetime, whereas we have an average of 400. So Because once you start so young yeah. and then you are, if you're pregnant all constantly, the time. <laughs> but, but frequently pregnant yeah. or breastfeeding when you're not having those cycles, mm. in that lifetime you're just having simply so few. Yeah, Your hormone levels are always raised at a sort of a pregnancy sort of a level, which is their natural state. So the reproductive hormones are more happy in the pregnancy zone, if you like, than they are in the trying to get pregnant zone. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, so it, it is, you could argue that it's more biologically healthy and normal to have elevated pregnancy, um, pregnancy le- type levels of hormone um, than it would be to have that kind of up and down roller coaster of the cycle hormone pushing to Mm. get you to conceive so and that you know when we talk about contraceptive benefits beyond contraception one of the advantages of using one of and there are many of them one of the forms of hormone that sort of mimics pregnancy actually returns your body to a more biologically ordained state as it were and can give real health protection against loads of medical conditions polycystic ovarian syndrome endometriosis heavy painful periods PMS, PMT, PMDD, all of these things um, for many women, mm. not, o- not all. And it also has no negative impact on the future ability to bear a child. Like I think a lot of women worry that if you turn off cycles with chemicals that there'll be some, you know, like you'll be punished on the tail end kind of it. Or and how that, do you turn them successfully back yeah, on again? And it's not the case. The vast majority of hormones that we use to manipulate the cycle have no negative impact on future fertility whatsoever, and in many cases actually enhance it. So there's a lot. Of, there's a real mismatch, and it's not just in ladies and and, and their partners. I see that in the health profession all the time. Like a lot of doctors worry about they're, they're, if they see some poor little kitty who's crippled with horrendous heavy bleeding, painful bleeding. She's 12, 13, 14 years old, and they're like, well. I didn't want to give her the pill because she's so young. Mm. And I'm thinking, why not? That's that's the pill would mimic what her body is ready for, which is pregnancy. In a recent study on this topic, every mom asked over 1,800 women how soon they conceived after coming off contraception. 62% said it happened for them in under six cycles and 75% under 12 cycles. In this same study, we learn that 35% started taking an oral contraception between the age of 16 and 18. One of the fascinating things that I've only discovered in this, and I also fell into that myth, Mm. assuming that um, not being on, not consuming a hormone, Mm. somehow meant that my hormonal flow would be Closer to nature, yeah, more and natural, more natural, and and therefore healthier. Mm. Um, but the idea, especially if you are having children later, the idea of actually those the contraception blocking the loss of that egg mm-hmm. 
is fascinating. Yeah. So actually it's it's enabling you to have more stored. Yeah. And and the body is designed for infrequent cycles. Mam- mammals' bodies are designed to cycle up, to gear up for pregnancy intermittently, not mm. month after month after month. It's no wonder they're exhausted by the time you hit 35 and you're like, and you're wondering why you're not getting pregnant straight away. And it's because for the last 20 years, your poor body has been begging you for a pregnancy <laughs> and you've and done nothing about of, it. Is there anything in the, every month it's like, and failure and failure and yeah. failure. Your body reads a period yeah. as Fine. failure. Fine. She don't want to play. Whereas you might <laughs> yeah. go, oh, thank God, periods are I know. I know. But internally it's exhausting. So interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's not black and white. It really isn't. Um, and and the nice thing is nowadays the hormones typically that we use to manipulate the cycle and reproduce the more biological norm of this non-monthly ovulation, quiet womb, quiet ovary, are becoming more and more natural. Like there are chemicals we use today that are derived from, like molecularly, they're identical to the circulating ovarian hormones. So, you know, as far as dovetailing into the natural order of things, simulating a pregnancy, admittedly with a chemical, but a chemical that's, you know, molecularly as close to human hormone as possible is a real achievable thing. Um, And I think it's having a lot of very positive impact on general health for women, but also for future fertility preservation. So those other benefits to women outside of just the not getting pregnant aim of the game. You're saying there's a lot of other physical benefits to women to taking those contraceptives. So is that in terms of, you know, heavy cycles or heavy periods or even PCOS? I I would break it down into two. This is just me personally, you know, when I'm talking to patients and um, I do a lot of GP training, I would break it down into two categories. Women who are suffering from medical disorders that need treatment and therapy and we use contraceptive hormone for that all the time and then like just, what well the commonest ones that we would treat with would be things like polycystic ovarian okay. imbalance so polycystic ovarian disease is a really stupid name for a very common hormone imbalance that may or may not have anything got to do with cysts on your ovaries in wow. fact about a third of women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome have no polycystic ovary appearances when you scan them. So it's they really should rename the thing to a little bit too much male hormone and insulin insensitivity disorder. So it's basically a hormone disruption. So you're saying that, you know, because I would have, again, assume, so you do the scan and you see if there are cysts on the ovaries. And if there are, then you fall into that category. Yeah, you could still have polycysts. So but nowadays, and now they change, they keep having meetings and they keep changing the rules. But at the moment, the rules to diagnose polycystic ovarian syndrome include two out of the following three things. So signs of hyper male hormone, hyperandrogenism, they call it, acne hair growth, you know, in inappropriate places, dark patches under your arm or under your breasts. Um, Those would be signs of excess male hormone. Okay. Okay? So androgenism, number one, infrequent cycles. So women who get less than four or five periods a year have what we call oligomenorrhea, infrequent bleeding. And then a cystic, a very specific looking cystic pattern on your ovaries, like everyone's got cysts on their ovaries. That's how the damn eggs get out. I was well, thinking that. Yeah, That's exactly. What needs to be released. Yeah. So a cyst on the ovary is a good thing. It yeah. means they're functioning. 
and those are called functional cysts, funny okay. enough, but you don't want to have a multiplicity of them. And there should always be one big one and a bunch of tiny, tiny little ones. Women with an appearance of polycystic ovarian pattern when they have a scan have loads of large chubby follicles. They It looks like a like pearls. Mm. They call it the string of pearls appearance. And they all have to be above a certain volume. So the odd cyst here or there doesn't mean you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you can have the androgenism, the excess male hormone signs. You can have the infrequent periods. But when I scan your ovaries, they can come back normal. You still have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. So it's about saying? the chemicals. It's about chemicals. It's about hormones. Not what's visible. Yeah. And it's usually not that you don't have any hormone is that you have an excessive, it's relative. So all women should have male hormone. We, mm -hmm. we actually make more different types of male hormone than we do female hormone. And the amount of it should be very subscribed. You know, like there's a, um, there's a specific ratio between male and female hormone that comes out of our ovary. That's really important for correct hormone function and ovary function. And if there's a little bit too much male hormone relatively, you're going to start to get possibly fertility issues, possibly skin changes. Um, so you can help balance changes. out that ratio with the pill by taking yeah. female hormones. Yeah. So if, the, if your female to male hormone ratio is too low, if you need more female hormone, you just put it in with the pill and, and it really works. So we use the pill to correct that imbalance. Endometriosis is another really common condition. And both of these conditions, by the way, m we believe or they seem to be associated with delaying pregnancies and minimizing pregnancies. So these are conditions created by the Western industrialized the reproductive yeah. systems of today. The, yeah. The deferring pregnancies as long as possible to minimizing pregnancies and spacing pregnancies. You didn't used to see too much. We're confusing our ovaries. Yeah. We're creating this problem by making them work. Why for some women though and not? There's a genetic element. Okay. Sometimes there's environmental, like um, PCOS particularly is extremely weight sensitive. So women, and that's because fat cells are an important um, metabolic platform for sex hormone. So the, the bigger you are, the more sex hormone you have in your body. Okay. Um, so keeping weight within good parameters is a huge part of PCOS. So that can drive up that male hormone uh -huh. ratio. Yep, absolutely. And for endometriosis? Endometriosis is a whole different thing. But again, it's probably associated with modern life and delaying first pregnancy and, and maximizing period cycles. So the lining of the womb, the bit that houses the fertilized egg and grows your baby is called the endometrium. And it should only be inside the womb where your pregnancies will grow. But increasingly we're finding evidence of women who develop womb lining cells on other parts of their body. The most common place would be lining the fallopian tubes on the surface, outside surface of the fallopian tubes, on the surface of the ovary, on the surface of the womb tissue, on the bowels. I've read about it. Thank God I've never seen it on in lung. If you imagine the pain of a period, you know, mm. shedding tissue and it's escape, it's being squeezed out of your womb. That's where period pain comes from. What about all that dying tissue that's trapped internally? In other parts of your body. Yeah, and it can't get out, but it's still causing scarring and engorgement and swelling in the tissues that are shedding each month, and then it can have terrible long-term impact on your ability to get pregnant and your quality of life. You know, even if you never wanted a pregnancy, there are women who have crippling pelvic pain mm. from untreated or poorly managed endometriosis. 
and again, can appropriate hormonal consumption almost always fix that? So well, not you, fix, but yeah, minimize. Manage it. Yeah. So if you suppress the monthly development, unnecessary development of endometrial tissue in the womb and in the other places it might end up by putting someone on an ovulating suppressing hormone, like say the contraceptive pill, for one, that's only one. There's loads of other ways to suppress ovulation. Um, you minimize the development of that abnormal endometrial tissue. And so hopefully the immediately improve pain, generally speaking, and other, and other symptoms. But more equally importantly, you can help safeguard future health and quality of life and maybe fertility preservation as well. So is it really important for... I mean, I imagine then for young girls, if do they start feeling those symptoms yeah. young? Yeah, with endometriosis, it's very common to start quite young in life. Um, I don't buy this grin and bearish, stoical mom warrior BS. Like, I really don't. If a girl is in pain, if she's unwell, if she's got functional disability, if she's missing school or can't study or in bed with a hot water bottle, something needs to be done. Because even if it isn't something like endometriosis, and it probably isn't, why should she suffer by virtue of her being female? It's an outrage. I really do, and I don't think there's any rite of passage involved in watching your kids suffer unnecessarily mm. when there are so many treatments and options. Um, and to fob some kid off, uh, well, I went through it, oh, they're not as bad as mine. You know, there is a little bit of that sometimes i think goes is on. that why women who have painful periods before pregnancy often find that they have less painful periods after pregnancy yeah, it could be that whole shedding that uh, allowing nature to do what it was designed to do which is mm. to make you a baby helps reset everything yeah you see an awful lot of gynecological uh, disorders are improved by pregnancy um which is amazing because it's it not being suppressed anymore yeah and it makes sense doesn't it because that's the whole point of the thing was to be pregnant and have your baby. So it sounds like in order to really understand the right contraceptive option for you, it is really important for you to understand what's going on within your own body in order to discuss those things with your care provider yeah. and come to the right solution together. So what are the type of things that people need to consider in terms of their lifestyle, their intentions to conceive? I mean, even if you travel a lot, would that impact sure. on the right one for you? There's so many factors in what makes a, a perfect contraception or the ideal contraceptive for any individual woman. It's, and it's different for every woman. Two sisters won't have the same desires or interests. And, it, you know, two identical twins can try two identical products and one be happy and the other not. So it's a very complex kind of a process to find a contraceptive that suits you best. And it, and sometimes there's no perfect one. Sometimes it's the least worst is the only, you know, option open to you because for whatever reason, you're not, um, you know, you struggle more than other people. So it's, tr it's a tricky consultation sometimes. Not everybody is easy. It's not always easy to find the right contraceptive for a woman on the first go. You do sometimes have to kiss a lot of frogs before you finally find the one that's going to suit you. But there are general principles. Which I think why it's so important to, to get better in touch with what's going on with your body so yeah. that you can identify, you can go, actually, that's not really working for me. Yeah. And not just put up with it, yeah. but actually go back and kind of say, well, it's not working for me for these reasons and help that healthcare provider point you towards a better option. Well, I think what we were talking about earlier is a huge starting point, you know, to embrace the concept that 
forms of contraception that alter menstrual bleeding, that turn it off or minimize it, are not harmful. They have no negative impact. They're not going to make it harder for you to get pregnant in the future. They're not... I have heard people say, oh, well, where does the period go? Is it all kind of building up inside and then eventually kind of come? No. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is no. Hormones, contraceptive products that minimize bleeding or turn off cycles do so by preventing the development of the lining of the womb. So there's nothing in you each month that needs to come out. Um, And there's this awful, you know, myth that by turning off your cycles, you're somehow undermining your future choices and you won't be able to get pregnant when you want to and you won't be healthy. And that is not the case. In fact, many women on forms of contraception that shut down periods are the healthier individuals, the women with the better future fertility options. So that's a big myth that has to be dispelled immediately. And then really it's about convenience. You know, Some people really embrace hormones and hormones suit them and they tolerate them really well. Other women are so intolerant of hormones. Most contraceptive hormones will contain at least progestogen of some kind, and many of the pills and the patch and the ring will also have estrogen in it. And in general, most people tolerate those hormones really well, but there are women who just, they come within a a hair's breadth of an estrogen hormone or a progestogen hormone, and it really sets them off. Now, they're rare. Those women are rare. And usually, if you've prescribed a product and it doesn't suit, it's because you need to tweak You need to tweak it. It's not that you, you have to avoid hormones at all costs. But I have met women who've tried every single hormonal contraceptive product in the book, mm. and nothing suits them. They just are so sensitive. And thankfully, we have lots of really effective non hormonal contraceptive products as well. barrier products. Yeah, and and in in copper-bearing intrauterine devices. It has no hormone on on it of any kind, um, but sperms and eggs just hate copper. They really hate copper. They just run away from it. They don't like gold or silver either, but they're expensive, so we use copper um, to kill them, basically, um, and keep them from doing what they do. What's going on with the metal? I don't know. I don't know. If you drop a... a, a, How was that even discovered? Well, (laughs) well, now you ask... um, like in primitive people used to put metals into the wombs of their animals when they didn't want them, like say camels going on a trek. The last thing they needed was a pregnant camel dropping on the mm. on a on a, a cross kind of desert. animals. So you know, <coughs> people in rural communities knew that if you put foreign bodies into the womb, pregnancies generally didn't happen. Um, and then they found that. Metals particularly were very effective, you know, so, uh, and that's thousands of years old, that technology, we still do it today. In fact, one of the most rapidly advancing areas of contraceptive technology is finding other ways of putting hormones and copper into the womb of women. And it's actually so cool because it's a very immediate thing, you know, instead of maybe putting hormone throughout the body, which some people wouldn't enjoy and they would react to it, here you're just putting elements into the womb itself and preventing um pregnancy that way you know it's uh it's wonderful seeing how things that we knew from the past bringing it back mm. into to helping us manage up, it now upcycling yeah yeah no it's a great thing it's i not like all to, new invention sometimes no, there's wisdom all. in the old not at all and, and foreign bodies in the womb are a really important source of infertility too i uh, have often just recently we had a case of <clears throat> excuse me a lady who was trying to get pregnant and couldn't and um, 
had had a miscarriage, a late miscarriage, previous couple of years, and they found a small little piece of bone. And it was that tiny, tiny little piece of bone from the pregnancy products that didn't get flushed out. Wow. Was what was just like if you put an intrauterine device in and the foreign body prevents a further a pregnancy, that little piece of material acted as a foreign body and it was delaying a lady's ability to get pregnant again. And then when they removed it, she mm. got pregnant immediately. It was amazing. Which I love to hear because it just goes to show with the appropriate tests and assessments. We can fix almost everything. How mo- like That's just the most amazing thing. But you need to know who to ask. You need to know where to go. You know, yeah. you need to be educated. You really do. And you need to speak up because... You know, that poor woman who was trying and she failing. She just suffered in silence. She probably did. So she may well have talked to somebody and said, you know, we've been trying for a year. Nothing's happening. I wonder if it's to do with that miscarriage last year, you know. Um, but, you know, sometimes those girls are fobbed off. They're like, oh, well, you know, you're supposed to, the book says you have to be two yeah. years. To, which, you know, to hell with the book. Like, I think when you reach a certain age, every month you're not pregnant is a month another straw in the camel's back. Do you know what I mean? It's oppressive. It's another opportunity lost. Yeah. And it's oppressive emotionally, you know, uh, and then that emotionality has a lot to do with it as well. So I certainly would believe in doing at least some rudimentary Mm. fertility assessment straight away, if for no other reason than to reassure. So with all of that in mind, what do you think every woman should do if they are considering their hormonal, their fertility, and their contraceptive options. Typically in Ireland, and I'm going by surveys and statistics, most young women, when they start being sexually active, and they might not be having full penetrative sex, they may just be having sort of kind of advanced foreplay to (laughs) characterize it, would usually start with condoms or, or maybe ask their partner to source condoms. And I think... Condoms are an essential part of the sexual conversation because, you know, it's it's an opportunity to open the dialogue on contraception, you know, assuming you're sober enough to do that. And obviously they're essential from a preventing disease transmission point of view. And that's a really important thing oh, because in all of this, contraception does not mean sexual health. Massive. In fact, you you it's shocking to me how... Like, while I love the idea of people being able to be open about sexuality and sexual activity, there's also a huge responsibility comes with that. And I don't know that everybody takes that responsibility seriously. So condoms as a contraceptive are probably the introduction contraceptive that most people try. But sadly, they're the least effective of all the contraceptives on offer. Um, Well, apart from withdrawal, you know, pulling the penis being taken out of the vagina before the male ejaculates is absolute nonsense and as sure a way as any to have an unplanned pregnancy if you're trying to avoid one. So condoms... Which is worrying because oh, from a survey that we did mm-hmm. with the Every Mum community, um, of which we had 1,800 responses. Wow, which that's is a good response. It's a good sample size. Uh, looking here at the withdrawal or pull-out method, 33% oh, use or have used it as a form of contraception. I... You now have to remember that the body doesn't allow you be pregnant every time you you get pregnant, if you know what I'm saying. The body doesn't allow you to be pregnant every time you get Yeah. So if you look at a thousand ladies that have sex 
around the fertile time of the cycle, which okay. is approximately two weeks before they bleed. Only about a hundred of them will have a pregnant, a positive pregnancy test two weeks after that sex. But they probably all, many of them would have conceived. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, but we so, just don't know it. But but the body looked at the results of that conception and said, I don't think so. It didn't like the quality of it. Didn't allow it implant. So implant. it's a survival of the fittest yeah. thing. So but it doesn't mean that sperm didn't meet egg. Exactly. So just because you didn't get pregnant doesn't mean you didn't get fertilized. Okay. You know, it's all bit of Russian roulette. So when people say, oh, we use the withdrawal method all the time and I haven't gotten pregnant yet, the, the most important word in that sentence is, yet because eventually you'll you'll conceive the body will say yeah that's fine and you'll have a positive pregnancy test so if you really don't want to be pregnant condoms are not enough the withdrawal method is definitely not enough you need something that's going to prevent conception every time and the best way to do that are you saying is to prevent ovulation yeah well, one of, well, at least, well, that is one of the best ways. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of non-ovulation blockers that are great contraceptives. They they lighten bleeding many times, but they don't block ovulation for the most part. The copper devices that we talked about before, mm. they don't block ovulation. You still get regular monthly cycles if, if that's your jam, but they're very effective contraceptives. So you don't necessarily have to shut down your ovaries to get high levels of contraception if that's just not something you're interested in, even though we know now haven't chatted about it, that it's actually really healthy to do that. But um, it's sad to me that condoms seem to be the go-to for young kids because they're the very people who would least be able to entertain a, a pregnancy and a baby, and they're relying on a contraceptive that's so ineffective, you know. And that's if you use them correctly. You know, if you're drunk or you're a little bit altered, you're not mm. going to be using them correctly, and then they're even less likely to keep you safe. So something like the pill would be the most common Irish ladies go to reliable contraception. So if you start your sexual journey and you go to the doctor and you say, I'm, I think I need to do something because I don't want to get caught, they're most likely to offer you the pill. That's the first horse out of the gate, typically for young girls. So the best thing to do really is to to get to know your body, to do some of that research, to not be afraid to have those conversations and to seek out a healthcare provider who absolutely knows this world and can guide you towards the That's right That's really solution. important. Yeah. I mean, it's not that GPs don't know about contraception. They absolutely do. Um, and they have access to loads of resources. You'd be better off in some cases going to a well woman clinic or a family planning center, or like if there's a local practice in the area where the women's health is a, a focus for them, you more likely get more time possibly, mm -hmm. and maybe more up-to-date information, more accurate information. Some specialist care. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much for all of that information. And I'm delighted to, to let everybody know that if you want to hear more about those very specific forms of contraception, whether they be the barrier, the hormonal, the short-acting or the long-acting, you can go to episode three where Dr. Deirdre Lundy is going to take us through each one in more detail. Deirdre, thank you so much for, I, my mind is blown. I just, I didn't think I could learn any more about this topic, but I already have. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. If you want to learn more from the incredible Dr. Deirdre Lundy, hop on to episode three, where she delves into each specific type of contraception. 
so that you can figure out which might be the best one to suit you. Or continue to episode two with Dr. Laura Lenehan, where we figure out our hormonal health. Thank you for listening. We really hope that this show has supported you in finding out more about your body and how best to select the right contraception. You can find all the information relating to this episode by following the link to everymom.ie in the show notes. If you think others can benefit from this series, please rate, leave a review or share with us on social tagging everymom or using hashtag mycontraception. For more expert information and support, mycontraception.ie is always available to you. This show has been created by Everymum, supported by Bayer. If you want to report a side effect or quality complaint for any contraception, please contact your healthcare professional or report them to the Health Products Regulatory Authority via the Bayer.ie website. Thank you.